good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. both online and in person. Now, in person, we have kids church. So the kids come in, they start off with us for a couple songs, then they go to kids church where they have games and Bible lessons and do stuff kind of at their level and have just a lot of fun. We stay gathered together as a community of adult believers and we pray together. We join together in community. We worship together through song. We study the Bible together. Somebody asked me this last week if this sermon and the sermon that's in person on Sunday mornings are the same. And I always say they're about 80% the same, meaning we do the same text, the same notes. Uh, but just admittedly, you know, what I say off the cuff might be different on Sunday morning than it is in the online service. Now, if you're with us online, you're either watching the live stream at faithonhill.com or you are checking us out on our audio podcasts on Spotify or Apple Music or you're watching uh, through our YouTube channel. You just have to search Faith on Hill Church to find all of our online content. And you can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. If Faith on Hill is your church, you can support the work that God is doing here uh, by going to our website and the giving tab. Otherwise, this is free of charge. We're happy to serve this community and anyone who just wants to hear the word of God proclaimed and taught. We're continuing our study in the book of Joshua, and we have one of the more famous stories in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. So turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 says that the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites and no one went in or out. Jericho is that classic walled city and there were gates, one main gate, and they could close it, they could secure it. For a few months of my life, when I was in Bible college, I lived in a walled city. Well, actually, that's not true. I lived on the other side of the wall. There was the old wall of the city of York, and just on the other side, across the street from the wall, was the flats where the students lived. But some of our classes were actually in the wall. You see, the Bible college had a, uh, a building that they had converted into where they had classes and things, and they had the, the flats that were the dorms. But they also had a lease on one of the old city gates, the Walm Gate. And so you would go and you'd climb up these stone stairs and there was sort of a house or a rooms built into the gate and we had a coffee shop and then above we had a room where we had classes or smaller meetings. And uh, they've since stopped auto traffic coming through, but every so often there would be a, uh, a truck, you know, like a box truck that would ignore the warning on height restrictions and then you'd hear this, feel this boom from the floors, and it would be a big truck scraping the bottom of the stone arch of the gate once a truck got stuck in there, and that was a whole interesting thing with classes. But in the old days, right, the city of York, a walled city, if there was an enemy at the gate, they would close the gates of the city, and you would shelter inside. And if you uh, had enough money or prominence or whatever, you'd live inside the gates, and if you were a poor person, you might live outside the gates, but you would come in and take shelter. Here they are, and everything is closed up because of the Israelites. Now, they, they knew that the Israelites had sent spies, right? We talked about that several weeks ago, the story of the spies and Rahab. 
And they know now that the Israelites have crossed the Jordan and they are the nearest fortified city. They are the obvious first target. So they close up the gates and no one can go in, no one can go out. They are in siege mode. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound the long blast on the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of them. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carried the seven trumpets before the Lord and went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. And all this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So the basic idea is this. I'm not recommending this movie. It's obviously an R-rated movie that has violence and all kinds of issues. But a lot of people have seen Braveheart. And Braveheart depicts these ancient medieval battles and you'd have an army on one side and an army on another side, and they would start out by just kind of yelling at each other, trying to intimidate the other, you know, make big noises, you know, see who has the loudest army because the loudest army has the biggest army. Uh, clang your swords against your shields, make a big noise, try to, you know, make scary faces, whatever you want to do. And Joshua tells the army to be silent. March around the city once. And do not say a thing. Be silent. The priests who are carrying the horns were allowed to blow them. But the army was to remain silent until that seventh day when the priests, instead of just blowing the horns randomly, there was a long and loud sounding of the trumpets. And then the people were allowed to make a war cry. And... This is interesting because for six days, once a day, they marched around the city and did nothing. And they probably got yelled at by the city of Jericho. March around the city and go home. Say nothing. They might taunt you. They might hurl insults and abuse at you. They might shoot an arrow at you. Do nothing. Say nothing. Can you imagine how hard that was? How many people would just have such a hard time 
You know, you, you, you're scrolling through social media, you see something, and it's like, I have to respond to that. Do you really, though? Do you really? It's a good discipline to get into, to just keep scrolling past and not comment. And here they are. Abuse is being hurled at them. Maybe weapons are being shot or thrown at them. And they remain silent as they march around the city once a day for six days. Couple of thoughts here. First of all, the closer you were to those priests blowing those ram's horns, the less likely you would have been to hear the noise from Jericho. Think about that. The closer you were to the music of the priests, the less likely you were to hear the noise of your enemy. People often ask, why do people sing in church? What's the point of singing in church? I believe that there are many, many reasons why Christians sing in church and have throughout the centuries. I believe there are many reasons why Christians worship through song. And I don't think any one reason is particularly more right than the other. I think they are all true. But I think one of the reasons that God has given song to the church is for our own encouragement and strengthening. When I come in on a Sunday morning and I hear the church sing, it reminds me that I am not alone. It is easy to feel alone disconnected, dislocated, and all you hear is the noise of the world. And we are inundated by the noise of the world. And to hear others singing in unison the same things that I believe gives me strength. There are moments on Sunday morning, I always feel bad because somebody's got to be feeling super awkward about them. But there are moments in person where we are silent as we pray. Sometimes somebody will pray out loud, but sometimes there's just a couple of moments of awkward silence. As the Bible says, be still and know that he is God. And we don't like that stillness. We don't like quiet. We don't like awkward moments. Because we're so used to the noise. But here they are. And the closer you were to the musicians, to the music of the priests of God, the less likely you were to hear the insults, the profanity, the threats, the taunts of the enemy. I do not believe that there is some sort of mandate for Christians to only listen to Christian music. I don't believe that there is some evil in you if you think that a Taylor Swift song is catchy or if you like the Beatles or if you want to listen to a little jazz or, you know, you think that, uh, you know, country music's great. I, I don't know, whatever. I don't think there's an, anything inherently necessary for a Christian to listen to only Christian music. Now, that being said, I do believe there are times in my life where I need the gospel in song. There are moments in my life where I need to hear the gospel sung. I need to hear the gospel sung. 
I need that encouragement. Moments for my wife and I, seasons for my wife and I, where the ministry of music has helped keep us afloat. Given us hope, brought joy, as the Lord has been gracious to bless us through that ministry. That doesn't mean that I like every Christian music song or whatever. But it means that there is something blessing about being in the presence of God through the ministry of music. There is something that is a blessing for that. Whenever I read this chapter, I always think of a trip that I took to London, England. I, I lived in England for a long time, several years, but um, I, I didn't live in London. But I remember I went to London for a week because a friend of mine who was from London was doing a evangelistic outreach in the city of London. And he had read these verses and he was convinced. He said, Adam, can you just come and play your guitar and sing the praises of the Lord? And he and the people from the church he was a part of in London were just going around, getting into conversations, handing out invitations to church, trying to tell anyone and everyone that they could about Jesus. And if people stopped to listen to my poor singing, you know, then maybe they could engage in conversation with them. But the point of what I was doing there was that he felt convinced that at least for them, he's not saying for anybody else, but for them in that moment, he said, can you just come and fill the spot where we are at with the worship of God? I said, yes, I can. And I got to travel to London, brought my guitar, and for a week... I just went and played, and every night my fingers were sore and my voice was tired, but I would just play worship songs over and over again, praising the name of Jesus on the streets of London. And, and it's kind of a cool moment in my life. I've, I've gotten to praise the name of Jesus in sight of Big Ben. I've gotten to praise the name of Jesus along the River Thames. I've gotten to praise the name of Jesus in these famous places that you've seen in films as these brothers and sisters from this British church in London were just trying to tell their fellow citizens and, and people that lived there and people that were visiting anything that they could about Jesus. And it was because of these verses. They go around six times. Then, verse 12, Joshua got up early and the priest took up the ark and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. And on the second day they marched around the city once, and they returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they marched seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, so this was different than just sort of sounding the trumpet or, or making kind of musical soundings. This was a sustained, united blast of the trumpet. Then Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for Yahweh has given you the city, and the city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord, meaning they were not to take any spoils or booty they were not to take any slaves 
They were not to take any treasures for themselves. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you do not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and the sound of the trumpet And when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed it with the sword. Every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle and sheep and donkeys. And Joshua had said to two men who had spied out the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong with her in accordance to the oath, your oath with her. So the young men who had done this The spying went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. And they brought her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. And then they burned the whole city and everything in it. And they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and irons into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, does that mean that she never died? No, it means she, her family, her clan, her descendants lives among the Israelites to this day. It says that first, Joshua took her and her family and everybody and put them in a camp outside of the camp of the Israelites. They were keeping their promise to her. When the wall collapsed, Earlier in the book of Joshua, it says that her house was connected to the city wall, and that's how the spies were able to get out. It's not unreasonable to think that her house was spared or that the wall collapsed, but collapsed in a way that was, you know, the army could get through, but there were still parts that were there. Her house was spared. Anybody who was in there was spared. And then Joshua was intentional about things and sent these two guys on ahead, go in there and get them out. So they take them out of the battle. They are free and clear. And the oath that the spies made to Rahab and her family has been fulfilled. But now they're outside of the camp of Israel. But then it says later that she and her family lives among the Israelites to this day. A lot of the book of Joshua is explaining to future generations of Israelites, hey, this is how we got here. This is how we came into the land. This is why this is here or that's there. This is why there is this group in Israel that trace their ancestry not back to Abraham, but to this prostitute from Jericho named Rahab. And unlike the normal patriarchy, they don't say we are, you know, the sons of Aram or the sons of Judah or whoever, we are the children of this woman. Why is that? Because that would have been unusual to their culture. He's explaining that. What's interesting to me is this. Rahab and her family were outside of the camp and at some point they came in. There are people who are around the church They're connected to the church. They've been served by the church, blessed by the church. They, uh, you know, they've, they've been connected. Maybe they're even church members, but they're not actually part of the church because they don't have a saving faith. There is an invitation to come 
from being church adjacent, being camped next to the church, and I don't mean the building, I mean the people of God, and coming in and being a part. And yes, some of us have heritages that go back way back. Our, you know, my father or my mother were Christians. Their father or their mother were Christians going back generation after generation until we don't even remember when. We've only known time where we have been part of the church. And that's true on my father's side of the family. In fact, both my father's sides of the family. We can trace a heritage of faith on my dad and my stepdad. My mom's side of the family, my mom. My great-grandmother had faith later on, but my mom was a convert. There's generation after generation of sin, generation, generation after of rebellion against God. And my mom said yes to Jesus. The church is made up of people, some who have generations of faith, some who are converts. But every person has to make their own decision to come into the camp of Israel. At some point in the Old Testament law, there were ways that you could come in and become part of Israel. There were ceremonies and, and rituals, actually not too dissimilar to baptism that we have in the church. But this invitation to come in, now being baptized doesn't make you part of the church. Although people who are part of the church should get baptized. But there is an invitation to come in and be a part and belong and have relationship with each other as we have relationship with God through Jesus. So they were outside of the camp, but at some point they came in. They were no longer outside of the camp of Israel. At some point they came in and they were part of the family. And she wasn't Rahab the prostitute anymore. She was Rahab who was now part of the Israelites. Now, it says in verse 24 that they burned the whole city, everything in it, but they put the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her family, and all belonged to her because she hid the men that sent a spy, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And at that time, Joshua pronounced a solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay his foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up his gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Now, God honored Joshua's oath. You see, later on, when Israel was living in a time of rebellion against God, a man did go and relay the foundations of Jericho. He said, hey, this is prime real estate. Hey, why is it there, there should be a city here, right? Jericho was a place that there should be a city. It was good geography. It was near the Jordan River. But for generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, they would not rebuild that city. It was to be forever desolate as a mark of what God had done. And yet this one guy came and said, I'm going to rebuild it. And the scripture says that when he laid its foundation, he did lose his son. And when he set up the gates, he lost his youngest son. I don't believe in generational curses. I don't believe that there, you know, I could go and swear an oath and, you know, whoever, 
whoever does this, this will happen. I, I don't know that that is something that I can do. I, I really question that. But the people believed in it. And there are people that speaks in a way prophetically and God seems to be in their words and, and seems to have a certain honor towards their words. And when this man did these things, there was a cost. And it wasn't about Joshua's oath, it was about the heart of that man who knew the penalty for rebuilding Jericho and did it anyway, not caring. And when his firstborn son dies, he still goes ahead at the cost of his youngest son. He had no care, no concern. I could lose my whole family. When we say, that sounds terrible, but we see it all the time. We see it all the time for career, for personal satisfaction. People will destroy their own families. They will destroy their children's future so that they can have what they want. Now, it's really hard to talk about the Battle of Jericho without talking about genocide. Now, if you go back to the sort of introductory sermon that I did on the book of Joshua, and you can go to our YouTube, our Spotify, our Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, excuse me, and you search Faith on Hill, and you can find all of our previous sermons in Joshua. I spoke extensively about the issues surrounding ancient Israel, modern Israel, and the idea of genocide in the Bible. I don't really want to rehash that, but I do want to say this. There are people who say that the Old Testament especially, that that God is the mean God, he is the angry God, he is the God that just goes around destroying people and smiting them. And I don't even know what the word smiting means, but I know that the Old Testament God does it, and it's because he's kind of a jerk. That's what you hear. I would say to those people, actually read the Bible. Actually read the Bible. Because what kind of genocide is this? What kind of people march around a city for six days without raising their sword? What kind of people, when the time for battle comes, go in and at personal risk take out a woman and her family to safety? And anyone who would enter that woman's house would be granted safety as well. What kind of people go in and don't take treasures for themselves? This doesn't sound like your classic conquest. I'm not saying that children didn't die in this story. I'm not saying that I'm not going, God, why did you allow that? Because I don't understand it. What I am saying is when people talk about, oh, well, the Bible says this or that, half the time it's like, have you actually read what the Bible says? Well, I like the New Testament because Jesus was a lot more loving. Really? Because you know what I see in the book of Joshua, and especially this story? I see a picture of Jesus in the book of Revelations. You see, just like there was seven days that the people of Israel marched around the city of Jericho, we believe the Bible teaches there is a seven-year period where God will deal with the earth before its final judgment. And for seven years, people will have a chance to repent, and most will not. But just like Rahab, I believe Rahab is a picture of those who will come to faith 
in Jesus during those final seven years before the final judgment. And you say, oh, I like the loving Jesus. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus kills people in the book of the Revelation. We have these ideas about things. This doesn't sound like God tell, angry God telling him to smite everybody and destroy them and take all the treasure for yourself. God gives them six days to surrender, six days to surrender, six days to repent. They know that their gods will not save them. They know that their gods cannot stand against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, the God who is with the people of Israel. And yet they stay defiant. They could go into Rahab's house. Most choose not to. People say, oh, you know, this is a terrible story full of genocide and horrors. Read about the culture surrounding Baal worship, Asherah, which were the two dominant idols among these people. Know that these people had only themselves recently conquered the land in the previous few centuries. There's actually a pretty decent argument that one of the reasons God had the people of Israel go and spend time in Egypt was that while they were down there, this group called the Sea People was invading what we think of as the Holy Land. And they had come in and they had conquered. And now God said, all right, I'm giving them time and they've had time and they've had time and they haven't repented. So now the time of judgment's come. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone that lived in Jericho had sinned and deserved death. I sinned and deserved death. The gift of God is eternal life. They could have repented. Like Rahab, they could have entered into safety. And they chose not to. And in our day, there are people who are rebellious to God and bringing their own destruction on themselves. God doesn't need to do it for them. They're doing it just fine on their own. But if we would turn to Jesus and say, Lord, deliver me. Forgive me of my sins. Free me from this bondage. He will answer. He will answer. There is safety in the house of Rahab for the people in Jericho, just as there is safety in the house of the Lord. Safety in faith in Jesus. Safety in surrendering and saying, God, work in my life. This sermon isn't about going out and fighting battles and having big victory. This sermon is about repenting. That's, I think, what the point of this chapter is. It's not about big military victories. They just walked around. God did all the work. God took down the walls. God gave them the victory. No, this is about surrendering to what God is doing and recognizing His power, His might, His glory, and His ability to save fully a people who are lost in sin. I was the worst one, and Jesus saved me. He can save you too. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us for another Sunday morning. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We meet throughout the week in small groups, and we have youth group that meets Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. here at the church building. If you want to know more about what's going on, you can email 
me, I'm Adam at faithonhill.com. And we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. Just a couple of announcements. We do have a church uh, work day around the building on March 9th. That's a Saturday. And our denomination's uh, women's retreat is happening. And the signups are pretty close to being closed. So if you're interested in that, you can email me for more information. We have information at the information table here on Sunday mornings. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue to study the book of Joshua and learn more about how God is working in his people. Still be my